Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Bar Fights Part Two. Author Stephen Mills. The book is called Chosen, a memoir of stolen boyhood. It is an absolute must read. We had a beautiful conversation last week, and I am just deeply moved by, by this story. I see so much of myself in this story. I see so much of the survivors that I work with in this story. And I'm so grateful that my friend Stephen Mills put his story to paper. So those of us uh, who have been through um, child sexual abuse can see ourselves and feel less alone. Um, and Stephen Mills, I mean, what a treasure. Um, this book, you spent many years putting pen to paper, and I want to dive into a little bit of what that writing process was for you. And then I want to talk about where you are today. I literally cannot imagine having to live and breathe my story day in and day out. You said it took you 18 months to write this book. Um, what was that like for you mentally to live in this space um, for those 18 months? And how did that impair, improve, affect your healing process? Because as you mentioned last week, it isn't a straight line and it's something we still have to nurture um, hmm. on a daily basis. Um, I, I can't imagine having being able to write a book um, about my story. How did you do it? And how did that affect impact your healing process? Yeah, well, you know, certainly part of it, Sarah, is that I'm a writer, right? So that's what I do. And that's a mysterious thing. You know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and our superpowers and our vulnerabilities. For me, I write for a living. So on some level, this story had to find a way out through writing. And, you know, interestingly, one of the things that happened in that period of writing it in those 18 months was that I'd been keeping journals going back to the late 1970s. Oh, and when wow. I, so when I went and I had never, ever gone back and read what I'd written. So when I went back and started reading my state of mind, when I was in that period uh, that we were discussing before in the late 70s, when I was trying to erase myself from this world because of the abuse, that was just stunning to me to see the detail of my psychological, emotional states. It was almost as if I was reporting on the story without knowing that I was reporting on the story. So I had this incredible source material of 
you know, 45 years of journals. Without that, I would have been utterly lost. Uh, I don't think I could have recreated it. On the flip side, by enabling me to relive it almost day by day was a very, very intense experience. Um, and um, on the one hand, uh, it was, I did a lot of it. My wife and I have this cabin out in the Mojave Desert. I would plant myself out there for a week so I could be alone and not make both of us crazy, but just me. So I could just completely immerse myself in, say, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, 1979, when I was just bottoming out and, you know, doing hard drugs and trying to throw myself in front of a train and, um, you know, and just really be there. And um, it was, it was heaven and hell, you know, I mean, that's feeling that stuff is the hell, the heaven was that as a writer, I, I was completely unblocked. And after so many decades of trying to write about it, It was like the floodgates were open and it and it happened very easily. And so for a writer, that's really at the end of the day, that's what counts. That's there's no there's no feeling like that. You know, it was almost like I was channeling the book. Uh, it was just making itself known, you know, uh, word by word and page by page. And that's that's gold. You know, if you're lucky, you get that once in a lifetime. So that was a wonderful um experience to have and it you know the other thing i would say about it is it let me um you know i i feel like many times we as survivors we have a a habit which is totally understandable of trying to sort of tie up our abuse with a you know and put it in a box and label it abuse and say yeah that happened to me I dealt with that. I've been in therapy. I've done this. I've done that. And and we think we know what happened. And I got to tell you, when I dove so deeply into it and wrote hundreds and hundreds of pages, I realized like, oh, my God, I never really I had been maybe 20 layers down in the onion and there were another 200 layers. And and some of them were so just I'll just give you one example. Yeah, um, I one thing I realized in going back to the journals is that the um, the nightmares I was having in my early 20s when I was unraveling um, psychologically uh, were the same exact nightmares I had the first weekend I was sexually abused um, at age 13. You know, this sort of endless cycle of being pursued by ghosts and armed men and specters and being torn apart. And I had never made that connection before. And so there's just all of these pieces of the puzzle that had never been put together for me. And for me, that in particular was always a really good bellwether of my mental health was my dream life. And yeah. I'll I'll today, like going through the court case now, I will have dreams about camp and about the perpetrator, but the power balance has completely shifted. I'm no longer the one running away. I'm usually the one pursuing now, you know, I'm the one empowered now. And that's been the huge change, you know, over the over the decades.
Yeah, it's it's so funny. I feel so connected to you. It's like you you take the words right out of my mouth. I was literally going to bring up the nightmares because um, that was something that jumped out at me in the book that I related to also. Um, but I was thinking of you in the writing process, wondering if those things bubbled back up, right? If, if nightmares, I mean, if when you're living and breathing this, if, you know, things like nightmares started again or anxiety or all know, of the above, all yeah. of, you know, and yeah. uh, but I really encourage people. I think dreams are just an amazing source of insight, you know, yeah. so they're this unfiltered window into a real experience. And if you can tap into them and remember them and write them down, um, they're they're a wonderful. Um, they can give you a really a wonderful perspective on what you what you went through and and the healing process. Yeah, and where you're at in the healing <laughs> process too. Absolutely, a hundred percent. So bring me up to speed with where you're at today, and I want to talk about a few things. I know you mentioned um, that you were able to file a lawsuit under the Child Victims Act in New York. And that's a law that I worked on um, and that you might worked on, I'm sure, too, um, or have since worked on laws in other, um, other states getting statutes of limitations changed. Um, but, but you were able to file a lawsuit and there's something really powerful about that after hitting all of the dead ends that, that you hit in, in the criminal process, being able to actually hold some of these institutions and enablers, um, accountable. I want to be careful because you are in the discovery process, not to talk too specifically about your case because everything at this point is discoverable, um, <laughs> including this podcast. Um, but what did it feel like to be told, guess what? You get the chance now. You can actually stand in that position of power with the, with the word plaintiff attached to your name and the word defendant attached um, to these organizations who, who harbored your perpetrator. What did that feel like? It, well, honestly, at first it felt scary because yeah. I was still the law and God bless you and Marcy Hamilton and Catherine Robb and everyone else who worked to pass that law in New York. I was not among them. I was still really hiding in the weeds. I hadn't disclosed publicly. I was still writing my book in 2019 when it passed. I mean, I noted, I noted the passage. My wife and I talked about it. It wasn't until early 2020 when the window, you know, the, the look back window was due to close that summer that um, I sort of, made myself um, take a meeting with James Marsh of, of Marsh Law, who I respect immensely um, in New York and talk about it. And honestly, when I went into that meeting, um, I wasn't sure because this is one of the things of the writing process. It finally, in allowing me to unburden myself and liberate myself from so much of the pain and the shame and the guilt of, of the abuse, it finally got me to the point where I understood the power of the Child Victims Act. And by the time I came out of that meeting, I was absolutely sure I was going to file a claim. And um, the look back window was extended for a year. So I waited a year. I wanted to finish the book and that process. Uh, and um, 
it was, I think the law is brilliant. And I, I just, I wish, and I am helping work toward that day when we can get rid of statutes of limitations on all sex crimes against children, because they make no sense. They only protect perpetrators, uh, as you know, much better than I. Uh, and um, I feel so lucky to have this opportunity uh, because it is, I think, just crucially important that institutions face the reality um, of these cases. I firmly believe that if institutions can't face what happened 50, 40, 30, 20 years ago, that they are completely ill-equipped to confront what happens this summer when a child is abused because we're talking about the same leadership and the same organizations yep. you know so if if your go-to move is to deny 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 or even cover up what happened decades ago then that sends a horrible message to today's victims you know it says if you dare to come forward we're not going to believe you and so um i because of that filed this claim against uh, UJA Federation and the YMHA of the Bronx, Riverdale and New York, the two groups that ran the summer camp where I was abused uh, and who employed Daniel Farinello, the social worker who abused me. And about a year after I filed the claim, they filed a motion to dismiss, which I thought was completely outrageous. And it is uh, a, a defense uh uh, that has been used by many institutions, including the Catholic Church, arguing that if the abuse happened outside New York State, that uh, victims do not have access to the courts in New York under the Child Victims Act. Um, and some of my abuse happened in Connecticut, not all of it. Um, but the, to me, the outrageous part is that, you know, in my case and my friends, we were trafficked by this social worker from New York across state lines to Connecticut. He took me to the Bahamas to sexually assault me. And 50 years later, we have these two Jewish social service agencies, you know, trying to find, uh, you know, a legal loophole in his crossing state lines and the abuse in Connecticut to evade accountability. Um, fortunately, in October, uh, the court rejected uh, their argument and scheduled the case. And as you say, we're now in discovery and I have been pouring through my thousands and thousands of pages of personal journals <laughs> that I've been through once already to write the book, but going through again to provide all the evidence I have um, over the decades. And I'm really, I'm so looking forward to, um, you know, having my, having this opportunity you know, and, and not just for me, but for all the others uh, abused by this man and for today's victims um, so that, you know, they know that there is recourse, um, you know, that you can get justice. And even if, as in my case, it's a half century later. Yeah, that's it's incredible. And like you said, these statutes of limitations, we talk about them a lot on this show, arbitrary, old, archaic, and protective of predators and protective of the institutions who enabled them. So shine that bright light on these <laughs> um, Go forth and, uh, and hold them accountable. Um, 
switching gears a little bit, you've stepped into this role now as an advocate. Um, you've joined forces with my favorite people and my favorite organizations, Child USA, Child US Advocacy. We both sit on the board of Child US Advocacy. Yes. What has that been like? If you could, if you could tell your twenty-year-old self, high on hard drugs, you know, committing petty theft, that you would be, you know, on the forefront of of keeping kids safe. Um, you know, that would that would be a moment. How how has that? um unfolded and and what are you up to in that realm yeah i think my 20 year old head would have exploded probably <laughs> um uh it's you know it's happened really organically sarah because i i've spent my adult life in advocacy you know for various public interest causes but mostly in the environmental movement so um i'm well versed in the ins and outs of advocating for public interest causes. It never occurred to me in a million years that I would apply that to this issue, which is so close to home, because it is so close to home. You know, it just wasn't, I couldn't somehow let that in. But the day that the book came out, um, it, it just so changed my life radically because suddenly everything that had been secreted and hidden was now fully public. And you know, I'd have nights in the months leading up to publication, waking up in the middle of the night and thinking, are you out of your freaking mind? Like, why are you doing this? You know, yeah. and yet knowing that there was some wisdom at work internally that I couldn't really, I couldn't second guess. And um, the day my book came out, I was on uh, Jim Clemente's podcast uh, you know Jim Clemente, right? Former FBI agent and uh, a fellow survivor and a really, really close friend. And on that publication day, the first thing you said was, this is your liberation day. Oh. And that was just so dead on. And um, I immediately, you know, Marcy Hamilton, who had read the manuscript before publication, said, you know, this is just so important and we need you to be an ambassador for organization and uh Catherine Robb of Child US Advocacy who we both know and love um you know asked me if I would help uh lobby for um to reform statutes of limitations in different states and so it all just happened kind of in a flash but gradually and I've also spent a lot of time inside the Jewish community, because of course, that's where our stories unfold in specific communities. And I've spent a lot of time over the past two years uh, doing talks and events in synagogues and JCCs and Jewish podcasts and, and trying to uh, really um, get uh, my fellow Jews to understand that, um, you know, the facts are the facts. And according to the NIH studies, Jewish children are sexually abused at the, exactly the same rates as the general population. And we got to get our heads out of the sand and do a better job of keeping kids safe um, in um, in these institutions, youth programs and summer camps. And so that's been, you know, I've made incredible uh, allies and friends along the way, both in that community and in, um, you know, uh, fantastic superstars like you and Catherine and all the others who have who have been at this 
longer than I have, and I've I've learned so much from you all, and just now um, trying to you know keep on keeping on, doing the best I can, and hope that it uh, you know we're we're pushing a big rock uphill, but it is we are making progress, I think. We sure are. And it's, I always say it's the family we never asked to be a part of, but the true silver line. Oh my God. That is yeah. so true. Yeah. So true. I mean, I've, I just, you know, I'm part of a couple different survivor groups um, and they make all the difference in the world to me because it's, everything is, um, you know, as we always say, there's, it's the only place in our lives where we don't have to pretend at all. You know, we yep. just all understand um, one another on a very, very deep level experientially. And yep. um, it's, it has enriched my life just immeasurably. Beautiful silver linings. Uh, we got to look for them where we can. Um, my final question for you, my sweet friend is we have a lot of survivors listening to this show right now, some of whom have processed things more than others, some of whom have disclosed, some of whom um, have never talked about what they've been through. Um, what final piece of advice would you give to the survivors listening to this show? You know, I'd say we are not meant to go through this alone. And um Oh, probably most of not all of us do try to go it alone or by dint of the trauma we're going it alone for a certain period of time but it's just so important to healing to open up to another human being and to disclose and um and that might be a friend and just having that conversation with a friend i'm talking at the very front end of this process just to share the fact that um you were sexually abused it may be with the therapist whatever it is uh, to have someone else um you can trust to start that conversation um is is just a huge unburdening because it's the shame and the isolation um you know that is so uh punishing i know for me um, groups have been incredibly important. I was in what may have been the first group of male survivors back in the 1980s in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that just blew my mind uh, to be in a room full of men who had been abused as kids. I didn't know there was such a thing. And I learned so much um, from their experience. And I could, I saw in their experience, it was a mirror of my own. And that just it's so sped up my um, self-understanding. And it's just, I guess the last thing I'll say is it's its a lifelong journey. You know, as I said, I'm in my 60s and I am very much still on that road and um, in a much, obviously a much, much better place. And I am uh, in a place where I'm now with the book and, and advocating, transmuting, something really awful into hopefully something is that is positive uh and um that can help others along the way and i think uh, i just say that because it is have no illusions this is a lifelong uh it's a lifelong 
road and it does get better it definitely does get better you beautiful soul i mean that that to me is healing right to be able to look back on all of it and say i would not trade it because here i am um and i'm still standing and this has made me who i am beautiful beautifully put you beautiful soul um you guys the book is called chosen a memoir of stolen boyhood by my friend stephen mills get the book um it's it's absolutely one of the game changers that all survivors and people who are not survivors but who know a survivor love a survivor because that's all of us grab this book Stephen Mills, thank you, my dear friend. Well, thank you, my sister, for having me on. This has been fantastic. Absolutely, you guys. Thank you for listening to us here on Bar Fights, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.